0: I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain.
2: And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson.
1: We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thank you so much again for joining us.
0: Great to be back with you. Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody.
1: Yeah, Happy New Year, Archbishop.
2: Yeah. Hey, how
1: was your last month? How was, how was Christmas? Did you do anything uh, really special or specific for your uh, Christmas celebrations? Yeah, I went to Mass. Well, that's <laughs> <I was> gonna <laughs> <say>. <laughs> that's a start. There you go, good. <laughs> I say. That's pretty
2: special. I
0: celebrated uh, the Mass at midnight in the, in the cathedral. That was a great mm. blessing. And yeah. um, I was really grateful to God for uh, how many people were at the cathedral keeping oh, vigil in the middle of the night. And uh, it's an, really one of the ha- uh, things I most enjoy about the occasion. It's one of the three times in the year when I get to, uh, on behalf of the Holy Father, offer his blessing, which hmm. uh, gives a plenary indulgence under the usual conditions. So, mm-hmm. it's Very a great cool.
1: e- expression of God's mercy.
2: Yeah. That is wonderful.
1: Beyond the liturgical celebrations, did you uh, gather with any family at all, or were you able to see any any of them, or...? I
0: was, uh, compared to last year, able yeah. to do it this year. Uh, I was with my brother and sister-in-law and another brother and uh, sister-in-law and, and some nephews. So that was great.
1: Wonderful.
2: The the cathedral, people came to it. Was it was it pretty full for uh, Midnight Mass? Uh,
0: yeah, fairly full, you know, great. it wasn't packed, uh, sure. we could have fit you in. Your, <laughs> um, but, uh, Only. I I would have saved some extra space for you, Mary. Oh, I
2: love that. That's really funny. Midnight Mass, um, Christmas Midnight Mass, is really special to my husband. He's a convert, and before he was Catholic, he just happened upon... um, the celebration of liturgy at midnight in Royal Oak. And that was like a significant part of him choosing to become Catholic. So we need to get down to the cathedral one day to celebrate with you for midnight mass. That would be fun. Good. We are also in a new year, 2022. And so I wanted to ask you, do you do any resolutions for the new year? What are your thoughts about stepping into 2022?
0: Really, I uh, I guess the way I principally observed the shift into the new year is to go back and look at the the uh, the year we're leaving and think mm. about the things to i should give god thanks for so mm. that, that's how i mm. do the transformation and Sorry. i mean I, I every time i go to confession i make new, <laughs> m- make my resolutions so it's it, it's, yeah. it's not just a once a year sort of thing it's yeah. so
2: true it's so true so you're not a big new year's eve or new year's day this is how this is what i'm going to try to approach in 2022
0: no i don't yeah
2: Yeah, Yeah. it's funny how some people kind of live by it and some people are like, yeah, it's a different day. But like you said, confession, I like thinking of that, that that's a renewal every time we go. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. This month, I am so excited about our topic of conversation because it is a topic that is so near and dear to my heart. And that is Catholic schools, particularly Catholic schools within the Archdiocese of Detroit. So to begin with, I wanted to ask you if you could kind of give us a brief history of Catholic schools in the United States or maybe in Detroit, kind of how they came about.
0: Well, I uh, I did some research. I knew you were going to ask this kind of a question. <laughs> and uh, there were Catholic schools in the United States territory even before uh, the American Revolution. But principally, they were uh, under the care of religious orders and they weren't parochial schools. Well. Uh, I looked it up. The first parochial school was uh, started by uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton at her parish in Emmitsburg. Mm. But uh, the movement toward parish schools got going around 1884 when the bishops of the United States were in Baltimore and mandated that uh, there be schools in every parish. And uh, obviously, uh, the the movement flourished very much thereafter. I mean, Mm. schools have been part of the life of the church from the very beginning, certainly once we got our freedom, Uh, the legitimacy of uh, the Christian faith in the the Empire, Roman Empire. Uh, We've had schools. Uh, My way of putting it is uh, we we could be the church without schools, but we wouldn't be the church God wants us to be if we didn't have schools.
1: Mm. You know Archbishop, I mean sometimes this seems like, I'm gonna ask you what seems like a very basic kind of question. Um, so it's going to seem like a duh kind of question, but I think sometimes those have the most poignant answers and, and really reflect. I agree but with you, um,
0: Mike. Uh, that's what, that's what we get paid to teach philosophy for is yeah, these right. questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I wanted to ask you,
1: what is the purpose of Catholic schools and Catholic education? I know, you know, just now you were talking about that kind of the history and we're kind of, uh, we have a long history with it, not just here in America, of course, but beyond that. So I guess, what, what would you say is the purpose of Catholic schools and education? Well, the purpose of
0: education is to prepare people for life. Uh, The purpose of Catholic education is to prepare people for life with a vision that's based on faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was thinking about this too, and uh, I'm gonna go back to what I learned in the, the second grade, why did God make me? God made me to know him, love him, and serve him in this world, to be happy with him in the next. And to be able to know him and love him and serve him in this world, I need an education and I'm going to be uh, get a much better education if I'm educated by somebody who knows that mm. uh, what they're helping me get ready for is to serve God in this world. Uh-huh. There's a really important essay that I go back to a great deal when I try to give leadership on the matter of Catholic schools, an essay by uh, G.K. Chesterton, where Chesterton said, uh, every e- form of education is, uh, has at least implicitly an answer to the question of why, what's this for? And uh, in our Catholic schools, we answer that question uh, on the basis of our faith, what's this for? It's for our students to be able to live out their vocation in this world in order to be happy with God in the next. And that mm. makes all the difference in the world. Uh, Catholic schools are not just uh, a school like everybody, everybody else's school, and then we have religion class along with it, kind of uh, mm-hmm. right. uh, wallpapered into it. Uh, yeah. Catholic schools have their own very particular DNA.
1: Yeah. You know, Archbishop, I'm surprised you quoted G.K. Chesterton. I really thought you were going to go St. John uh, Henry Newman. Like, that's, that's your guy. I really <laughs> thought you were going to quote him. Because uh, I, I know he has a whole essay on Catholic education as well.
0: Right, and it's yeah. very much along the same line. That yeah. It's about preparing people uh, for their place in the world with a very particular uh, understanding about what that place is.
1: Right.
2: And, and so, shall-
0: there, I mean, chemistry class in a Catholic high school is not going to have uh, any different teaching about. Uh, uh, dioxyribonucleic acid than you'd get at uh, <laughs> right. uh, uh, Stevenson High, right. but we're going to have a different understanding about how it all fits together.
1: Yeah, yeah, a different vision, like you said. You know, Archbishop, just out of curiosity, how, how many Catholic schools do we actually have in the Archdiocese of Detroit currently?
0: I'm gonna have to look that up here. I think I have the number in front of me. We have 54 parish schools, eight regional schools, including the high schools, and 18 non-AOD Catholic schools. Those would be the ones run by uh, religious orders or uh, oh. uh, groups of parents who decide to start a school.
2: That is a large number. I wonder how many students there are total. I don't have that information in front of me, uh, but I've read I, it before, it's, it's quite a bit. Yeah. It
0: is, uh, yeah. very grateful for, uh, and and our numbers have been able to increase in the last year or so.
2: Right, I actually think there's been a, a different focus on Catholic schools because of the, the trickiness of the pandemic, it's been really beautiful to see that piece of it. Um, you know, when we look at, and I love what you were just saying about uh, the uniqueness of a Catholic education, not necessarily in the content that you're learning, but in how you're connecting it to the greater why. When we talk about Catholic schools as a unique kind of educational endeavor, the church has brought forth four kind of marks of what makes a Catholic school um, a unique educational endeavor. So would you mind explaining those marks to us, kind of the church's wisdom and what Catholic education should look like in terms of their endeavor? Well,
0: uh based on what what we could call this supernatural vision uh, mm. uh, that uh, we're made for uh, to live in this world to prepare ourselves for uh, happiness in the next and to shape this world according to God's vision for the world then I think we could go on to talk about these uh, four marks mm-hmm. one uh, uh, founded on a, a Christian understanding of the who the human person is, uh, the uh-huh. dignity of the human person. I like, uh, uh, one way to talk about the, uh, about the sense of the human person is to say that uh, what God made us for is to be agents of truth. Uh, this is one of the most important things we can do is be uh, people who observe the truth and live according to the truth. And particularly today, that's the truth about uh, uh, the family. and. Uh, human uh, sexuality. It's animated by a sense of communion and community that uh, uh, w- the s- students, the faculty, uh, the parents as well, mm-hmm. form a-, a community that sustains the, uh, the endeavor of learning.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, a-, a worldview that's Catholic uh, throughout the curriculum that looks at the world as God's creation and understands that we have uh, the stewardship of this creation and our job is to uh, to be co-creators with god Mm. and i think catholic education is sustained by a gospel witness uh, especially the witness of uh, of the of the teachers and the staff Mm. and uh, the point is to help the students develop their capacity to give witness in the families that most of them will establish in the vocations they pursue in life.
1: Well, and there's nothing like seeing, you know, it's one thing to tell somebody how to act or what this looks like, but it's another thing, like you said, the teachers, hopefully mentoring and modeling right there in front, um, that lesson for the young people to, to see that modeled, that love, the generosity, the truth all modeled from their teachers in front of them nothing nothing more powerful than that right so
0: right I mean every teacher is a coach and every coach is a teacher I mm-hmm. mean, uh, there, there isn't such a thing as uh, being able to be a teacher without at the same time being a, a coach to, to the students or as Socrates put it you're you're a midwife uh-huh. you're bringing some new new being uh, to birth in, in your student mm,
1: I like that you know, Archbishop, in Unleash the Gospel uh, in Response to Synod 16, you wrote that Catholic schools are an apostolate that it's responsibility of all parishes and all Christ's faithful. What what do you mean by that exactly? And, and I don't know if you just want to kind of uh, flesh that out a little bit for us.
0: Sure, happy to. And this is a, a conviction that that I t- articulate in Unleash the Gospel, but it's a, it's a, a conviction that was uh, endorsed by the synod itself. So mm-hmm. this is, mm-hmm. uh, and my putting it in the pastoral letter was uh, raising it up as a fruit of the synod, but this is yeah. what the Holy Spirit said to all of the participants uh, in the synod. And what it means is that uh, schools are not just the responsibility of a parish that uh, sponsors the school, but right. even if people when people belong to parishes that don't sponsor a school, uh, they have a responsibility for this uh, this uh, ministry, this apostolate. I mean, we think this way, for example, about uh, the, the overseas missions, the Society for the Propagation of the Faith. Mm-hmm. It's everybody's responsibility to advance that, uh, that apostolate. Mm-hmm. It's everybody's responsibility to advance uh, Catholic charities. And it's everybody's responsibility to support Catholic education.
2: And I think it, it's interesting because if we look at the landscape of Catholic schools, it's um, easy to see how maybe it's there's been challenging years, right? We've had schools closing and um, trying to pull together and kind of figure out our identity. And so with the Synod, on top of Unleash the Gospel, you um, published a, uh, a document called Unleashing Our Catholic Schools which is, which was a strategic vision for the renewal and reinvention of Catholic schools. Um, For me, again, it's it's so personal, because I just want the institution to thrive, um, especially for my children, like my maternal heart wants that. And so kind of in this strategic vision that you put forth, what was what was some of the thought behind it? What were you thinking as you were writing that document?
0: Well, I'd, I'd pick up on the two words that you mentioned renewal and reinvention. Mm-hmm. Uh, renewal means to well we are faced we're facing uh, a, a turning point in the history of Catholic schools in the United mm-hmm. States I mean, it, it's been coming a long time uh, we right. see it very very clearly and anytime you have such a fundamental challenge uh, what everybody has to do and especially the leader has to help help everybody do is uh, get down to uh, the fundamental mission, and that's about the renewal to be renewed in our commitment to the fundamental mission, which is uh, about Catholic identity, about uh, academic excellence, and uh, uh, avail trying to make our uh, this educational experience available to anybody who wants it. Those, mm-hmm. it's core mission we have to renew uh, our commitment to the core mission and uh, make decisions in light of uh, of that measure it mm-hmm. against core mission mm. and then reinvention we've inherited uh, fr- a system that goes back at least to 18 uh, the 1880s and uh, it was a system that uh, thrived through the great generosity of mostly religious women. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not here anymore. Right. And so we need to find a new way to be Catholic schools today. And we, uh, we can't just be patching up what, uh, what we've received. We need to take the healthy part of what's, what we've inherited and be innovative and and move forward. I don't Mm. know exactly what that innovation's going to look like. I have some ideas. But I'm confident Mm. that if I uh, trust uh, parish leaders uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, families, uh, parents, to come up with uh, their inspiration for how to do this in a new way, uh, God will show us how to accomplish this reinvention.
2: I love that trust in in the spirit kind of with those those four pillars that you just described, which is that proudly Catholic, academically excellent, accessible to all, and then sustainable for the future. I always kind of, um, I wonder myself often about how Catholic schools can continue to be accessible for all when one of the biggest challenges is the shift that you, you mentioned, which is these schools used to be run by religious, and, and that's frankly not what it is anymore. And so now we have almost i would say a crisis of tuition where to send our kids to catholic school is um it's just such a hard financial commitment upon families especially with more than one child and so have have you when i when people ask me about that the cost of catholic tuition and how can it be accessible to all when the cost is astronomical my response is always i hear what you're saying and yet none of these schools are making money right it's not like they're sitting on piles of money right so i i understand there's a bottom line involved but are people thinking kind of creatively about how to address this question of accessibility with just even frankly the price tag attached to the institutions sometimes
0: we are indeed thinking of ways uh, to try and get more support Uh, we, Mm -hmm. we need to do that uh, we need to convince uh, people that this is a, an investment uh, for time and eternity, and mm-hmm. uh, we all need to do more begging.
2: Yeah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's a good point. I love what Mike, uh, the question Mike asked you, um, which is about how that quote that you have that Catholic schools are an apostolate that is a responsibility of all parishes, and all Christ faithful. It's almost like if we can unleash that energy. Um, that spirituality around the archdiocese, then we can kind of help lessen the burden of some of the accessibility questions, right?
0: It's not going to be solved overnight, but if right. we don't begin, uh, we're never gonna we're never gonna get there. It's true. And we are making progress.
2: That's good. That's good to hear. That's 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 comforting because again, it's. Um, mike and i have actually talked a little bit about catholic schools and i don't think they're essential for catholic young people but they're just such a valuable tool in kind of our tool belt of raising you know young catholic disciples in this world that can sometimes seem hostile to faith right
0: right and to show that uh, uh, to actually have the students experience in, in their lives that what prepares them for life Mm-hmm. Uh, is in harmony with what Jesus teaches, yeah. that these two things uh, go together. Right. They, they, they mutually reinforce one another. Life is not compartmentalized.
1: You know, Archbishop, I know you mentioned that, that you've seen progress, you know, and I know that these, these major four pillars that were mentioned, obviously in your document just a couple of years ago, proudly Catholic, academically excellent, accessible to all and sustainable for the future. Um, I just was curious, I, I wanted to ask, like, what kind of progress have you seen in those specific areas over the last couple of years? Um, are there any specific examples you can kind of uh, give witness to? or?
0: Yes, uh, I mean, in terms of uh, Catholic identity, uh, well, in, in terms of the renewal, uh, the, re, uh, the reinvention of our schools, I depend greatly on a group I call the Catholic Schools Council, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, A consultative body that helps me helps the school superintendent the school office uh, to give direction Uh, and uh, we have a committee in the council for each of these areas and uh, the uh, the proudly Catholic area is uh, uh, chaired by uh, Father Mark Brower as a matter of fact and uh, they've come up with a number of uh, uh, benchmarks to uh, help us understand uh, what are the signs of a school having a, a strong Catholic identity. And uh, particularly, one of the most important things is to help uh, the teachers internalize uh, their identity as Catholic ministers, ministers mm-hmm. of the gospel by serving in uh, in the school. We're doing that. Mm-hmm. Academically excellent. We have a committee that, that works on that. We've developed a whole new... Uh, set of criteria for evaluating student progress for monitoring the progress and for using uh, IT uh, resources to uh, help uh, the teachers and the principal and the the principal's teachers uh, to uh, be sure that we're delivering on this promise of uh, academic excellence accessible to all we've increased uh, the uh, amount of money that's available for scholarships, and we have a long range plan to keep doing that.
2: What are some of your, you know, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about those, those four different components and, and the committee that's overseeing it, it's, it's, um it's rather hopeful for me to think of people working diligently to try to, um, like we said, renew and kind of reinvent Catholic schools within the archdiocese. So when you look at that, and you see the progress that that's happening. What are some of the hopes for the future of Catholic schools that you personally have as our Archbishop in the Archdiocese?
0: I have a hope for uh, some new schools in places that are underserved. And I'm going to let happen what happens. We'll see how how that goes. Mm -hmm. But my own view is that new schools in the future are going to be uh, started by groups of uh, lay people who get together and start a school right uh, something like uh, saint catherine of siena academy over on yeah. the uh, western part of uh, wayne county
2: yeah there's a chesterton academy too i've seen i've actually seen that among my pure peer, my peers in the past like 10 or 15 years lay people getting together and saying, what do we want? What's a vision for our children? And then coming together to make that happen. It's kind of beautiful to see that, that kind of, um, I don't know, arm of the the movement of the spirit, you know, that people are kind of taking ownership over it and making it happen for their kids.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, mm-hmm. and another place would be uh, um, Austin High, which mm. is oh a, yeah
1: a, a lay initiative. Right. Well, Archbishop, I know that this episode being recorded now is, is, is meant to coincide with Catholic Schools Week. It's an annual national celebration of Catholic schools, which takes place every year, usually at the end of January sometime. This year, it'll be in January 30th through February 5th. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what is Catholic Schools Week and, and what all that entails?
0: Well, it's an opportunity for the whole local church to be particularly focused on uh, this apostolate, this ministry in the life of the church and for uh, the school community, the communities themselves to uh, reappropriate their uh, the vision and mm-hmm. uh, their identity as uh, works of the gospel. So it's a number of uh, events that take place, uh, some uh, diocesan wide, uh, some uh, down at the grassroots and the parishes and in the schools.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's funny, it was a Catholic schools week kind of movement of moms on social media that really convicted me that we were going to make Catholic schools happen for our children because just in a real simple way different families gave witness on social media as to why they made it a priority in their family and this was before I had children. I remember reading people kind of giving their witness. This is why it's become so important for our family. Here's how we protect it for our family Um, admitting some of the challenges of Catholic education, but yet saying it's worth it for us to do this for our children. And I think sometimes just uh, dedicating a week or a day to to really vocalizing why we're doing this particular ministry is so helpful for people with curiosity about Catholic schools or maybe aren't sure if they want to support this institution to understand why.
0: Right, Catholic schools are alive and and well. It's a way to recognize all the people who make the Catholic school possible, Uh, pastors, Mm -hmm. parishioners, parents, Mm -hmm. uh, benefactors, all the educators. It's a celebration
1: of of, uh, the vitality of this ministry. Archbishop, do you know of anything uh, concrete or specific that's gonna be happening this year within the uh, Archdiocese of Detroit? Some concrete, specific ways that Catholic Schools Week will be celebrated here locally? Well,
0: there's a live stream mass from the cathedral on uh, February the 3rd at 10.30. Mm -hmm. And that's an opportunity for, uh, especially through the live stream, for uh, a diocesan-wide awareness uh, Catholic Schools Week uh, will uh, have a kind of a, a morning show uh, every day, <laughs> uh, so cool. which will be live streamed. By it'll be the responsibility of uh, the schools office. There's That's a school awesome. art contest uh, about the Holy Eucharist mm-hmm. uh, as the source and summit of Christian life, and uh, the prizes for that contest are tuition scholarships.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> My children deal. will be entering those contests. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love the I, I love the idea of having live broadcasts from our schools and things like that, just ways to really celebrate what's happening within our Catholic schools. That's awesome. Um, the theme of this year's Catholic Schools Week is Catholic Schools Faith, Excellence, and Service. Do you have anything you want to share about that particular theme that maybe we as the faithful can keep in mind as we move through Catholic Schools Week?
0: i think one of the most important things about it i mean the three the three dimensions are very very significant Mm -hmm. Uh, the schools uh, are a fruit of our faith Uh, they need to be excellent and we strive for excellence and uh, they uh, the fruit is service Mm -hmm. Uh, but these are not uh, detachable pieces Mm -hmm. each of these dimensions reinforces the other one and so that really is possible through the work of the holy spirit the holy Mm -hmm. spirit is the principal educator of our catholic schools i think that's Mm -hmm. the most important thing to be said Mm.
2: and you'll be um celebrating the mass with members of the the school communities right that that mass that's going to be live streamed you'll be celebrating it
0: it's on my schedule for me to be there (laughs) right
2: (laughs) and those are some of the things probably in your homily that you might uh, focus us on that week homily. <laughs> <Listen>, this <laughs> was a question. <laughs> it's like spoiler alert. Why don't we let you save your homily for the actual right. book? Okay. <laughs> before concluding today, I thought it would be neat because I know you've referenced this before for each of us to kind of speak a little bit, kind of bear witness to what Catholic schools have meant in our lives. So, Archbishop, if you wouldn't mind, would you tell us a little bit about your personal experience with Catholic schools?
0: Well, I... Uh i was in a parish school from uh, first grade to uh, eighth grade Mm. and uh, it was the mean one of the most important parts of that was the the way the the sisters shared their faith with us with me Mm. Mm. and uh, i often uh, think about uh, my own devotion to the most blessed sacrament was a uh, something uh, inspired in my life very much by uh, a sister jane francis whom i've gone to god but whom i love deeply and, and i think uh, that's what 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 being a, a, a an educator is about is making mm. those connections and i'm grateful for the connections that were made with me
1: mm. in, in my childhood
2: what about you mike did you do were you catholic educated yeah
1: well um well my elementary uh, was all was all public school uh, mm-hmm. but my mom was a guidance counselor in a Catholic high school and so I grew up uh, I can remember you know even age five, you know my mom would be going to the high school to go you know give um, SAT tests or something and just wandering the halls regularly of that school. So it was kind of you know I grew up going to this school and then finally as a freshman in high school I, I attended the school and uh, I remember, you know, it was, I remember it fondly. It was, it was a very good high school, St. Bernard High School in uh, the Diocese of Norwich, Connecticut. It's where I mm. grew up. Um, and it was, it was really good. I mean, I know they had been on a decline. I know I had two sisters or three sisters that went there before me. And I think my oldest sister, when she was there, it had like over 2,000 students. I think wow. by the time I got there, it was like... Um, about 700 or something, you know, so, Uh but, uh, but it was good, really good education, great teachers. And, you know, when we talk about those models, I remember most specifically, I mean, I I would say a huge, uh, teacher for me was Mr. Leon and, and he was a religion teacher and the way he taught the way, you know, he was very approachable, kind of a fun guy, uh, but also, you know, taught the faith very well. And I know that that had a huge implication for me moving forward in my own uh, questioning of things in high school and questioning the faith and I would say even propelled me to go on and study theology at Franciscan mm. University where I went to college you know and so you know my my high school and college uh, and then the course of course a seminary where I went for a master so that was all Catholic education my upper level um, but lower level was was private uh, I mean I'm sorry public school so mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of but it was good stuff I mean I, I really loved all my time in Catholic schools it was very formative you know Everything that we said it should be, you know, I I felt like I was really formed as a whole person, which was great.
2: I think that's why those pillars are so important, right? When, when we operate under those four pillars, you can tell that there's a different, it is a different type of experience of education.
1: Yeah how funny. about you Mary
2: well um, I was public school I went to Catholic school for two years it's funny I'd love to tell this because it's just I don't know I find it so sweet um, in terms of where we're at today my parents uh, decided when tuition would be five hundred dollars for all of us that they could no longer do Catholic schools for us <laughs> because it was too expensive because um, that's when <laughs> things started to shift and I just laugh when my mom tells me that but um, yeah. so I was public school but it's become a really big commitment for our family and for our children and I I noticed the value of it within my children. Archbishop, as you told that story about um, the sisters impact in your life, I was thinking about I have a son and you know, he sometimes talks about being a priest, one of my children. And um, I had taken them down to Solanus Casey for a confession and our parish priest at our school was there and he, you know, asked our, our kids their name and my one son who sometimes talks about a vocation said, you know, I'm Joey and our parish priest said, Oh, Joey. Just so you know, your religion teacher told me to pray for you and for your vocation, whatever God wants. And my son's face couldn't believe that you know, his religion teacher that he sees every day had taken that step to tell our parish priest, this is a young man in the class that's already talking about the priesthood, so we might want to just pray for his vocation wherever God leads him. And I just thought that was so cool for my my child to experience this, this oh. idea of being really known both at his school and even out in public because we weren't at our parish. We were, you know, at a different place for confession. But um, seeing my children be able to live their faith in a community, I don't know how would we, we would replace that without Catholic schools because, you know, the parish isn't what it was in terms of geography and things like that. So this is where my kids get the experience of lived faith with their peers. And that's the part I just think is, oh, it is so valuable. So that's, that's my little experience with it. Archbishop Vigneron, kind of as we as we end today, is there anything that you want to add on the topic of Catholic schools that we can kind of carry forward with us as we move into Catholic schools week?
0: I think the best way for me to wrap up is to express my appreciation to the principals and the teachers in our schools. Mm-hmm. Um, Whenever I'm out visiting a school, I make it a point to thank them for their devotion mm. and to assure them that I believe that, in, in, in fact, they are co-workers with me and with Christ in, in the work they do. And someday, uh, when they see the Lord, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm. Uh, what you did to the least of these, to the, the little ones, uh, my, my, my lambs, you did for me. I think, uh, I hope the teachers have that conviction about uh, about the worth of what they do.
2: Mm. So this is the time in our podcast where we ask um, the faithful in the Archdiocese of Detroit to submit questions to you, Archbishop Igneron. If anyone's listening and would like to ask a question, please feel free to email us at Podcast. At AOD.org, make sure to include your name, your parish, and of course, your question. So our first question comes um, from a lovely group of women that I happen to know. They're a Bible study, um, the Walking with Purpose Bible study um, at St. Michael's the Archangel in Livonia. And here's what the ladies would like to know. We all know that Jesus had to suffer and die for our sins. However, why did the manner have to be so gruesome and devastating and horrific?
0: I think the place uh, I can go to uh, start, go to at the beginning uh, to start to answer the question is the had to, you know, what was there about uh, the Jesus having to suffer and die? And it was uh, the have to lies in the fact that death is the fruit of sin. And he, uh, by enduring death uh, with uh, uh, obedience, with abandonment, not with rebellion uh, transformed death into something different uh, so that instead of being a punishment now death has become the manifestation of what it means for for the son of god in the flesh to be a son to be totally abandoned to the father even in the hour that seems most to to call for rebellion against the father Uh, in the letter to the hebrews uh, the author uh, Says that when Jesus came into the world he said here. I am I come to do your will it's uh, it's the uh, Value the worth of the the will of Jesus the attitude of Jesus with which he died uh, That is uh, the the price of our redemption. It's it's what merits our redemption Uh, So that's where the have to comes Uh, he has uh, turned inside out what adam did he becomes the new adam Uh, that that's what what's going on why this particular death uh, it is uh, according to god's plan we can't uh, completely understand that but what i do see in his going through the particular death he suffered is that he uh, submitted himself Uh, to the greatest uh, worldly power uh, at the time, the Roman Empire. He was ground under that empire and uh, uh, humiliated, uh, made uh, uh, to see and experience uh, a total sort of impotence but in that impotence, he continued to say, here I am, Father, I come to do your will. And so uh, his uh, impotence is transformed into the most powerful force that the world has ever seen, which is the love of the Son for the Father in the world. And one of the, uh, the reasons, one of the, uh, the graces in Jesus e- experiencing his death in the crucifixion is that uh, it invites all of us to see that even in the hours when we feel most powerless most impotent most ground down by the things that afflict us and and beset us uh, we can be most powerful and triumphant by uh, abandoning ourselves into the hands of the father there is no circumstance the crucifix reminds us that there is no circumstance that can happen to us in the world uh, that puts us beyond victory beyond the uh, receiving from from god his love and giving uh, reciprocating that love with trust in him i think that's part of the meaning of jesus's death through this uh, this kind of execution so married? have I done all right by your yeah, friends? That, that was,
2: yeah, I think I think you have. I think they'll be pleased with that answer. I love the idea of um, submitting himself to the Roman Empire. I had never heard it put that way, that that was the worldly institution of greatness, and he was willing to, by the Father's will, accept what he had to go through.
0: You know, Mary, uh, I think an analog to this, and it's not mm-hmm. just something similar, it's a participation in this very mystery, and I speak about this regularly, is uh, the the life of uh, St. Maximilian Colby, who Ooh. was ground down by yeah. the, um, the evil empire of his day, by Nazi Germany, yeah. and uh, the commandant who... Uh, decreed his execution certainly saw him himself as victorious over uh, the faith of this right. uh, polish priest mm-hmm. but the point is who really won and mm-hmm. it, it, maximilian kolby was uh, more powerful than uh, mm-hmm. hitler's germany the nazi yeah. germany because he shared in the kind of uh power that Christ manifested and uh, merited for us by his uh, uh, humble submission to the, the 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 world of his day. Yeah. This a, is the yeah. this is what overcome, the, overcomes the world our faith.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah there's something it's so hard and so tragic and yet so beautiful and hopeful what you just said that it's a it's a tremendous juxtaposition of the two so that's helpful
1: uh archbishop vigneron this is a question from joe at saint augustine and saint monica and he asks i've heard that newly consecrated bishops go to rome for bishop school uh is that (laughs) true and if so what is it called and what sort of things does one learn uh there
0: um it's called Bishop's School because that's uh, reflects the uh, uh, the wit uh, of uh, <laughs> the men who are ordained. Uh, there is a, a seminar every year for uh, bishops who have been ordained in the last year. It oh, my did, goodness. I didn't it, know that. <laughs> it didn't exist when I was made a bishop. Okay. Oh. And, I'll see and you missed out. I did. <laughs> and then uh, it began to be a voluntary experience, and then... Uh, the uh, holy father and uh, his co-workers thought it was so worthwhile they they require everyone every newly ordained bishop to come hmm. for the program Wow! So, some of it is uh, uh, n- new information what's involved in uh, this uh, this ministry what bishops ought to know uh, some of their responsibilities um, both within the Diocese, where they serve, and Mm -hmm. in their relationship to the Vatican. Uh, It's also a a time for encouragement for the the Holy Father has a a cardinal who is his particular co-worker in the pastoral care of of bishops, Mm -hmm. the prefect for the congregation of bishops. It's an opportunity for him to uh, do some forms of spiritual formation uh, for Mm -hmm. the new bishops. And it's an opportunity for new bishops to connect with one another mm-hmm. and uh, share experiences. Uh, it is a, a real culture shock for a man to go from being a priest to a bishop. I bet. I was just gonna
2: ask that. I was gonna ask if it's quite intimidating. I know that's not asked here to step in from, the, to move to that position.
0: Well, it, it, it it's intimidating, but it's, it's not what anybody bargained for. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it's a if I, if I could interpolate, I think it would be yeah. like somebody finding out all of a sudden that she's married. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> or yeah. isn't yeah. there a culture shock when the baby comes? I mean, that that's, that's yeah. a big shock, right? Right?
2: Yeah. Yes, yes and oh, uh, you got to
0: get used to it and right. uh, this is something uh, that uh, a man needs to get used to and it's an, mm. an attempt to help him do that hmm. um i don't know what the the formal title is for the seminar hmm. but uh,
1: these are the kinds of things that happen that's yeah funny.
0: mike
2: did or, you know that existed i had no idea
1: i had heard about it yeah that's through funny some yeah. different podcasts and stuff i had heard but it's interesting, Archbishop, but like that you said that they didn't offer it when you, like, do you know around what time they started offering it? I know you said it was voluntary at first and then made, made mandatory, but. Um... I don't know. Oh, okay. I and
0: mean, I've been a bishop for 25 years. I, I oh, okay. Know.
1: Okay. Interesting.
2: sorry you didn't get the bishop school archbishop vigneron but i think you're doing a good job without it yeah you (laughs) can go teach it (laughs) online learning i'm doing online learning (laughs) that's funny oh my goodness okay our last question is from peter at saint thomas of Becket. and peter asks if you were to become a patron saint what would you be the patron saint of
0: I would point out that we're all called to be saints, the universal call to holiness, we're all called to be saints. And I think what we could all each of us could be is the patron saint of uh, his or her home, his or her Mm. home territory, that's where Mm. we should uh, look to be the patron saint.
2: right? To look at our life of holiness where we are, right? Just what God is doing in our day to day lives. Right? Yeah.
1: You don't want to be the patron saint of podcasts, Archbishop. <laughs> no.
2: That's funny, Mike.
1: Podcasting. Yeah, you never well, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, no. we have all these records now of you. So I don't I mean, know. they are in the the pages of history moving. Well forward, we all
0: so. we're all called the
2: holiness. It's true. It's true. Yes. That's awesome.
1: Archbishop, before we conclude, we always want to ask you, of course, just one last question, which is, do you have any prayer intentions, which, uh, you know, of course, Mary and myself and and anyone listening can keep in mind uh, for you this next month, as far as your intentions go?
0: Um, I've been in touch with uh, some leaders in healthcare, and they have uh, uh, spoken to me very clearly about the tremendous stresses that... uh, uh, the uh, people in uh, healthcare, the nurses and the doctors and staff, mm-hmm. are experiencing in this fourth wave. So mm-hmm. I think uh, w- we've been at this for over a year now, and maybe we we forget to to pray for the people who serve us in healthcare. But I think mm-hmm. that would be something worth uh, picking up again, and especially praying to uh, to, to Our Lady. I, I've mm-hmm. From the beginning, ask people to pray to Our Lady of Lords, uh, mm. because that's a special place of healing. Mm. Uh, pray to Our Lady of Lords for an end to the pandemic, uh, but especially for a renewal of strength for mm. healthcare workers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a good one. You've got it. Yeah. And Archbishop, would you mind, uh, as we conclude, just uh, closing us with a with a final blessing?
0: Be happy to do it, Lord God. We commend to you all who are listening to the podcast and all those they love. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy
1: Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Archbishop. Thank you. You're welcome.
2: Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.